violence, illegal matches, broken necks, death, and wooden clogs? What are we talking about today? It's the ugly cousin of Catch's Catch Can. It's up and down wrestling. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. You're here. You did it. You hit download. You hit play. You are partying with us today, tonight, in the morning, whenever the heck you are listening to this. Maybe it's 10 years of the future. Maybe I'm president. Who knows? Probably not. Maybe dead. What am I talking about? Who am I? My name is Nick Gossard, and you are listening to Pro Wrestling History Nerds. And what we do here and what we're going to do here today is delve deep, deep into the archives, into the history books, into the oral traditions of professional wrestling, because that's what I love. I'm a pro wrestling promoter. I am a pro wrestling booker. I am a pro wrestling fan. And today I am here, as always, with the Tomax to my Zmot. For those G.I. Joe fans out there, we're not identical, but we are in some ways. It's Chongo Bronson. How the hell are you, man? I'm definitely the one with the facial scar. Capital to see you again. Konnichiwa, nerds! Yeah, you brought up a, a mind-boggling point. I just had like all kinds of light bulbs going off. What if an episode of Pro Wrestling History Nerds makes it out into the universe and that's the only thing that the society of all humanity ever passes on, man? That could be us. That could be the saddest, weirdest point of connection to an alien civilization. A episode of this sent out via the Wi-Fi, via the radio signal, via a rocket with a cassette tape in it. It goes to outer space. It ends up in the hands of aliens, and they think that all humans are like us, and they either ignore us for their own safety and well-being, or just blow up the planet from their flying saucers, and frankly, they would be right to do so, because we are a couple of weird dudes, but we have our fun, we have our good times, and hopefully you are having a good time with us as we talk about the history of pro wrestling. We've been talking about, for the last few weeks, The UFC, the brawl for all, how martial arts for quite a while were an absolute work. We kind of took things into modern times, a bit of a departure from what we've been doing since day one. And now we are getting back in our time machine. We are firing up the TARDIS. We are asking Doctor Who to ignore the scent of whiskey on our breath and taking us where we want to be, which is back to the 1800s. And we are not in America anymore. We are not going around the... The, the train routes and the carnivals, we are going back further and we are going farther because we are going to be stopping in merry old England this time. We are going to be talking about some very strange wrestling subcultures, some styles that I had never heard of until I read about them about a week ago and got so excited that I had to do this episode. We're going to be talking about up and down wrestling. And no, 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 it's not Upside Down Wrestling, sorry Flippy Boy, sorry Lonnie Valdez with your beautiful moonsault, and it's not Up Up Down Down Left Right Left Right BA Start Wrestling, which I think is the best of 30 falls, Konami Code, that's for the old men like us, you kids have no idea what we're talking about, it was big back in the day, just like Flemish Clog Fighting, aka All In Fighting, aka Up and Down Wrestling. Yeah, it's a particularly brutal and nasty and just really kind of a dick style. And it's awesome because one thing it illustrates is how timeless wrestling is because the the method, the way this was used and the 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 situations in the world that this was brought as sort of the resolution, like trial by combat type shit. This is so fucking interesting and It's just, it's really odd, too. So much of this is insane. I learned about it first from the book, The Story of Catch. Lancashire Catches Catch Can Wrestling by Ruslan C. Pesheyov. I apologize if I butchered your name. You'll probably never hear this. But it's a fascinating book on the history of Lancashire Catch Wrestling, the home of Catch Wrestling, from the 1800s all the way through the post-World War II era. It's a regional style that went worldwide. It affected everything from American pro wrestling as a legitimate sport, American pro wrestling and 
British pro wrestling as entertainment, as sports entertainment, all the way to Japan with their style of pro wrestling, their strong style, their shoot style, and mixed martial arts. It was so important to the development of grappling and martial arts, but it did have a weird mutant cousin, this strange, brutal offshoot that only lasted for a little while. It had some very strange DNA, mixing British folk wrestling with the ground-based European wrestling that you saw in Germany and Flanders. It came together to form a weird sport that, like I said, catch wrestling exists to this day. This Flemish clog fighting, this up and down wrestling, it was so weird. It was so dangerous. It was so brutal that people went to jail for it. People were killed. People were crippled. People risked it all because they were so angry at somebody, so ready to rumble that they said, I'm going to put my life on the line, my reputation on the line, my ability to earn a living, to feed my family, to be a free man, just to do one of these matches against somebody they hated. Yeah, you would have to really have a disdain or a such a deeply rooted meaning to be willing to engage in a contest with these rules. I mean, as I think about what the rule set is for this style, this is probably the closest thing to what you could call human cockfighting because of the methods and the things that are implemented in this style of contest. It's just, it's nasty business, man. Especially when you factor in like the medicine and the technology at the time, this is one of the most brutal things you could, you could put yourself through. And you mentioned cockfighting because throughout history of martial arts and combat sports, there's always the comparison for hyperbole of human cockfighting, human dogfighting, you know, McCain, you know, Senator John McCain called the UFC human cockfighting to make it look bad, even though he had never seen a single gosh darn fight and understood it to the barest minimum possible. But this may actually qualify. This is where you can actually say, yeah, this went too far. This was too much. This was a bad idea. Who the hell gets this mad at a person? Honestly, I can understand that. I get mad at people all the time. But it also was important because it did develop the art of Lancashire catches catch can as we know it today. There's also weird little tie-ins. Like if you watched old NWA wrestling matches, like the way wrestling was presented in the mid 20th century, you would notice that kicking is allowed, but not punching. And that's just an accepted part of professional wrestling rules and lore and culture. But this is where it came from. It was this bizarre style, hybrid style, almost like a weird chewed MMA to the potential death in Lancashire, England, that brought the rules of kicking into a grappling-based system where it went to the ground. And through that DNA and through this weird mutant style, that affects pro wrestling to this day. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're teasing it. We haven't talked about the specifics of what makes this so nasty and just vicious, but the implementation of this in a competition the, the way that that could be utilized, especially to someone that is really highly skilled at, you know, judo and Greco type upper body throws with this additional utilization is really incredible to think about. And you, it's so dangerous, man. Not just, not just the potential damage from the throws and landing on the ground, but the style in which they are set up based on the specific rules. And not just kicking. How did ground fighting combine with English folk style wrestling? How did kicking the shins become its own weird sport? Why was falling on top of your opponents when throwing them banned in many sports? Well, strap the fuck in because that's what we're all about today. And as the disclaimer goes, we may be wrong about a few things. I got most of my information from the book, The Story of Catch, Lancashire Catches Catch Can Wrestling by Ruslan C. Pasheyev. I plug it again because it is a fantastic book. You really need to read it if this is what you are into. I verified a lot of it through 
newspapers.com, through British Wrestling History Archives. There's a lot of information out there online. If you're a dork like me, plenty of it is accessible without even signing up for subscriptions. I always like to double check stories because we did in our earlier episodes about Strangler Lewis and Muldoon get some stories that ended up being a little bit wrong or colored a little bit differently. And I didn't do my due diligence. It wasn't huge errors, but just enough that I felt a little embarrassed. So I definitely like checking things out as deeply as possible, especially when it's something new and exciting like this. Our story begins in the Middle Ages, when Flemish textile workers and weavers were imported en masse to Lancashire, especially Bolton and Bury, during the 1300s. I have never been to Lancashire, so I kind of looked at a map and it is covering a lot of little towns. That's always the crazy thing you see in English culture, is you can drive an hour and a half and essentially pass six different accents six different cultures, and they all have their own weird way of doing things. And this style of wrestling fell into Lancashire, as we were saying. And they were joined by French and German weavers to make a better living in this new industry, in this new market. And they brought with them their own forms of folk wrestling. And much like we've seen before, when immigration becomes prevalent, like in America in the late 1800s, the wrestling styles like other aspects of culture, meet, compete, and become hybrid monsters. Yeah, because you've got the ground submission-based style from Germany. You've got the, the catch and the, the upper body takedown manipulation style that the UK had really developed and was really strong with in their many different variants. And you could see all these pieces coming together, plus the sort of social conditions at the time that would elicit the use of such a violent style to actual like real world consequences and uses. The up and down fighting, the up and down wrestling style, which became popular in the mid 1600s and carried on until the mid 1800s, as we stated, also called Flemish clog fighting, all in or Lancashire wrestling because the competitors wore wooden Flemish clogs, the old uh, wooden shoes. You would uh, kind of picture a, uh, somebody standing next to a windmill in Holland, but this was a solid wooden shoe with an iron band inside or outside or both holding it together, or they wore hobnailed shoes like a track shoe with sometimes two-inch spikes sticking out of it because you needed traction to be able to throw, to be able to hold your own on the dirt floor of the local pub or in the field where uh, this type of shit was going down. And getting kicked by one of those things is not very good. And now you're saying kicking in wrestling? Well, I never. But kicking has long been a part of pro wrestling. Like I said, you see that in the 20th century televised matches before WWE started looking the other way on punches. So people had that tradition of kicking in pro wrestling, and that was from English folk style that predated catch wrestling by centuries. Before the catch hold of your opponent as you can wrestling, as it was called in the day, the catch didn't originally mean grabbing a limb for submission, it meant catching a hold to initiate combat instead of starting in a folk wrestling hold to begin with. Kind of break that down, the kind of the, the traditional wrestling style where you would start in a hold position versus the kind of freeform catch hold. Yeah, well, like uh, an example people can visualize is like any high school wrestling match where one of the, one of the competitors starts in the down referee's position and the other competitor starts in a specifically structured, you know, offensive position. And it's almost a game within the game to score an escape or a take to, you know, a control type of thing from there. But the aspects of using sharp points and basically having talons on your feet to set up takedowns, it, I can't explain, I guess, think about your legs are your pillars. And when somebody kicks you in the shin with a, 
a spiked cleat, you're gonna take a step back. Taking a step back compromises your balance, which exposes the ability to really throw somebody and, and goes from sort of maybe I'll get the takedown to where you're gonna put somebody right on their fucking head. And it makes the takedown element of wrestling exponentially more dangerous on top of getting fucking kicked in the shin with spiked spiked toes and cleats it's just nasty man as anybody who has competed in judo will know a foot sweep or a sweep to a throw can very easily turn into a kick during competition and training totally. and getting kicked in the shins is not just like a cartoon like jumping up and down it actually sucks especially if you have not conditioned your shin with you know, kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, you know, what, whatever it is you're doing on the side. So you get kicked in the shin. Like he said, you take a step back. You are now off balance. You are now ready for that throw. And that happens in competitive judo all the time to set things up. Now put that into a bar room, put that into a street fight, and now put it into a situation where that instead of a bare foot, it is now a shoe a clog. It's like getting hit with a baseball bat or a you know paddle with a couple of nails through it. Definitely tetanus shot material. Yeah, especially when you factor in, like I said earlier, the medicine and the technology at the time. You know, just the the dirt in the wound from having somebody claw your shins. Yeah, we're not talking about Muay Thai conditioning here. We're talking about getting kicked in your shin with a fucking wooden shoe that has spikes on it. You know, and let me tell you something, nothing hits harder than the ground. So when it comes to the ability to do high, what we would call a five point takedown or where you go ass over tea kettle, where your feet are higher than your head, those become so dangerous when you're on a surface like concrete or anything that's not, doesn't have any give. And by stepping back, that's how you create the access to put somebody in a throw like that. So I can only imagine how this really caused a lot of just nasty, nasty collisions with the ground. And this was all from a standing position because, I keep saying because. And this would go on for quite some time, for you see, originally there was no ground grappling in catches catch can wrestling. I know that sounds bananas to us today, but it's true. Originally, catch wrestling was very similar in rules to the folk wrestling. Mm -hmm. And folk wrestling and catch diverged when you no longer started from a initial hold, like we were discussing. It's like in Scottish backhold, you have that over under and breaking, forcing the person to break their hold is a fall. It's just the same as throwing them. In collar and elbow, you start off from that collar and elbow style. Yeah. Uh, so you would start off in that position where you're almost in neutral strength, but you are in contact. In original catch wrestling, you started 10 feet apart. It very much grew out of bar brawls with uh, folk wrestlers uh, solving their issues in uh, such style, because this is the day when Wrestling wasn't something you learned in a gym. You learned it from your dad. You learned it from your uncle. You learned it at the, uh, you know, at, you know, at, at, you know, at the playground or whatever it is kids did in the 17, 1800s. I doubt they had playgrounds. They worked in factories making, I don't know, coal and breathing dirt. It was yeah, an awful right. time to be alive, but it was a bigger part of the culture. And then when it came time for the holidays or the big summer fairs or the harvest time, there would be competition. And that competition was these various folk styles, but they mutated. You started having the style that would be kind of a bar fight style. It was not considered gentlemanly. It was not considered manly. It was not considered a good, proper thing to do, but it happened nonstop because when you are a working class textile worker in Lancashire and you know how to wrestle, Shit's going to go down when the frustrations of life hit you at the pub. Yeah. And it also speaks to just the, I mean, one, the conditions of the time, like we said, you know, the mentality of the workers, the, the, the perfect storm of having all these workers come into this area with their regional grappling styles and how that mutated and came together. But just, I think it's very interesting that the fact that this, particularly nasty variation of grappling became utilized in the ways that it 
it gets utilized that we're going to talk about is it's just fascinating to me because it just shows that people really enjoy hurting each other. Otherwise, you would not participate in, in this kind of thing because this would suck, man. Because aside from the risks of being thrown, which we'll talk about here in a moment, people always use the rules to bend them as far as you can, implement things as far as you can without uh, making the town mad at you. You would have people that would use those hobnailed shoes, those track shoes, which were initially supposed to be just so you could have a good grip on the dirt in a folk style wrestling match. Kicking was, you know, a little bit discouraged, but you would you would still get away with it. But then there were men like William Buckley of Oldham, who was notorious for wearing his spiked running shoes during matches in the 1840s and using the spiked shoes as a weapon by pressing it into an opponent's arm to break the grip or dragging them down the shins to leave them bleeding mm. badly. And if you think about somebody with shoes with nails sticking out of it, dragging it down your shins, and you still have to keep wrestling this son of a bitch, that's a terrible image, not a sporting image. That is brutality. Yeah, and it's also, one, it's highly effective. Two, keep in mind, these aren't Nikes that were pressed in some waffle iron press. These are wooden shoes that have fucking nails in them. And not just nails, nails that have been digging into everything this guy has been walking in and working on. And the level of, uh, you know, what do you, non-sanitation, just the, the disease potential. I mean, this guy's walking in cow shit everything else and then you're scraping your legs it is such a brutal thing and i can only imagine how you know think about how a boxer could load up their boxing gloves imagine the level of things you could do to manipulate a wooden shoe that is allowed to have blades and spikes on it man it's like some ecw japanese deathmatch style wrestling with totally. crazy weapon but it's real it's specific but it will fucking hurt you. And this is in the days before Neosporin or anything other than pouring a bottle of whiskey on it and hoping you are well enough to go to the factory or the field and do the harvest. You just kind of have to hope for the best because again, this is rudimentary civil war era medicine where it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you got a splinter. It's infected. Well, we now have to saw your arm off so you don't die. Yeah. And you're taking that risk with your legs every single time you would engage in this kind of competition. Because again, I guarantee they are not keeping a, a pair of, you know, pristine spikes in the case for when they have a, a match, they're wearing the shit they were just working in, you know? And they, Oh my God. It's so people don't, I, I can imagine that you guys are like, why are you, you know, giving it such a heavy weight of how nasty it is. I can't express to you how brutal that would be to utilize to set somebody up into a throw because you could totally cause them to put themselves in a position where they could truly like get thrown on their collarbone and their neck and the rules at the time prevented were, were tailored to prevent gruesome injury but then when you when you add this variable it just puts the risk right back to the roof man and that is a good point because this was brutal Yes, sometimes the uh, the shin kicking with the spikes, serious dick move, kind of bending the rules and the spirit of the fight. But it served its purpose when two drunks would mouth off to the point that they would risk their lives, their freedom to wrestle each other with these rules. Risk their lives. Again, it's not just the getting an infection from a iron spike in the shin. Since most British folk wrestling styles, such as backhold and Cumberland style, were more about forcing a break of the grip or a bear hug toss during festival games onto the, the soft grass or the, the bale of hay friendly competition, the Lancashire style was more drunken brawling, trying to catch, kick, and toss a guy in a pub or in the streets or in a field somewhere, and nobody taught these poor bastards how to fall properly. So deaths from broken necks and broken backs were prevalent, as were lingering deaths from broken femurs because they got flipped over and landed on their butts at a weird angle. Keep in mind, Again, the level of medical care at the time was minimal. A broken femur can be a death sentence. A broken vertebrae is a death sentence. They don't know how to set these things. All they know is how to diagnose it after the fact during the autopsy. 
And that's why in wrestling, in pro wrestling, in judo, in jiu-jitsu, in many martial arts or choreographed stunt work, the first thing you learn, the first thing you have to master before you do anything else is how to fall. Because getting thrown is very dangerous if you don't know how to do it. That's why you spend all this time falling back, learning how to, you know, kind of curl your back, tuck your chin, slap the mats that are nice and soft. And you do that for a long time before you start having any live contact with somebody, before you start being the thrower as opposed to the throwy. You learn to take your lumps, how to protect yourself so you know what has to happen to keep everyone safe. Yeah, and these motherfuckers did not do that. I guarantee they didn't know what a break fall was or, you know, a technical stand-up and the ways that we practice and have become so, you know, the, the, the basic foundations of learning how to fall with any kind of grappling or tumbling art because really, like I said earlier, nothing hits harder than the ground. And when you were talking about the medicine at the time, you're right, man. One, one injury, regardless of if it, if it gets infected or not, could change the way your body functions for the rest of your life. You get a hernia, it's there forever. You, you tear your ACL, it's there forever. You, you break your collarbone, all of a sudden you can never lift the, the jug on that side of your body. And with the way that life was set up at the time, what they were risking in these competitions was literally the livelihood of them and their families. And we've all seen, well, not maybe not all of us, but the two of us have definitely seen fights where somebody gets knocked out and it wasn't the KO, the punch to the chin that ruined their lives. It was their head hitting the sidewalk. It wasn't the, the hook to the, uh, the body that put them down. It's the way they hit their head on the table on the way down at the bar. If you don't know how to properly fall, and when you're KO'd, you're KO'd, but there, I, I really honestly feel that no matter how KO'd you are, there's a little part in the back of your brain that kind of goes on instinct and protects you a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. Because that is where the bad injuries happen. I always think about when I'm talking about judo and wrestling, I think it was third grade. It was a fight on the playground. One kid just managed to you know, toss the other kid, just a, a brute force goof. The kid landed with his leg extended. He landed on that uh, loudest like branch crack noise I've ever heard in my life, broke his femur. He was out of commission for six months in you know, third, fourth grade, whatever with modern medicine. Again, we keep harping on this, but it's just so horrifying to think that it's like, oh, I hated this person so much and I'm all hopped up on 40% uh, ale that uh, was like made in a metal casket. So I'm also getting some sort of weird, you know, fucking, you know brain infection from whatever's in, the, in, in, in this stuff. I'm probably legally insane on beer and, uh, you know, bourbon, whiskey, whatever it is they're drinking, rum, that I am willing to kill or be killed. Because this is essentially dueling. Dueling, we think about two gentlemen with pistols, two gentlemen with swords, to this type of society, to working class British people in the 17, 1800s, when it kind of came to America, where you would have, uh, you know, the kind of all in rough and tumble and gouging type fights. These people can't afford a nice sword or a pistol. That's like a year's salary. That's for the aristocracy to yeah. sort their shit. These people had to have cost-effective ways to challenge a man, man-to-man. You, One of us may die or one of us may be crippled or one of us may, will have to like, you know, surrender in front of everyone else at the pub or in the field to say, I give up. This man is a better man than me, which is a much harder thing to do in a non-sporting situation, usually while drunk. So this is completely insane and completely foreign to the way 99% of us live our lives and sort our interpersonal problems. Yeah. And it just also speaks to how gnarly these motherfuckers were that this became the currency of settling things via a duel. Like this was the way it became done. This was normalized. You would, you know, that it's not a sword fight is to a certain extent, fairly clean. A boxing match is, to a certain extent, fairly clean. The way striking is clean, comparatively speaking to grappling, which is much more, you know, 
intrusive to your body space. It looks way more, you know, gritty and uncomfortable where striking is more poetic and pretty. This style of, like the fact that they settled on this, like, okay, this is going to be the way that we duel around here and this is going to be the normal way shit gets settled. Just, I mean, these guys are fucking nuts, man. That must have been some good ale. Yeah, because we're not talking about the type of like fancy pants, you know, British man with a Carrie Yule style accent. Think of this as like Snatch or Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels or your typical Cockney crime movie. These are rough people growing up in a rough town, in a rough industry who really didn't see much of a future outside of toiling until they died and getting drunk every Friday and Saturday night and getting in a fight to blow off steam. This was not a good way to live. This is not a good way to go about things, but this is the time where it was like that. This is the place where it was like that. They didn't have economic options, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of you had nothing but your pride and your sense of self. And if somebody challenged that, it's not like somebody calling you a dork on Twitter where you're like, oh yeah, well, fuck you, nerd. It's like, oh, you have challenged the only thing I'm really holding on to that makes me feel respectable and like I, I belong on planet Earth as a man. So yeah, shit can go wild very fast. Oh yeah, and the I can only imagine the way that it was perceived at the time. I you know one would assume that any firsthand knowledge, like if you were challenged to that type of duel, anyone that you ever knew or any story that you had ever heard firsthand, probably the people involved of every previous duel like that got fucked up. So you knew you were about to get into some shit. So I can only imagine what, you know, the type of personal conflict it would take to, you know, end on that type of resolution. Like, okay, we're in an impasse. We're about to fucking, you know, scrape feet, cockfight fight. You could, you know, we keep like kind of stacking this, but it's just so important to remember how dangerous this was. You had the shin kicking that could bust up your shins, break your legs, cut you so deeply that, uh, you know, it could get an infection. You could get thrown in a weird way that could, you know, you could land and break your neck and it happened a lot. But juries, after they were arrested, because they would get arrested a lot with these deaths, juries were from the same culture, from the same uh, background, so they understood. So a lot of times they were acquitted. It was called an accident or something weird like a visitation from God, as uh, one uh, (laughs) one coroner's report uh, was forced to put it. And there were other dangerous moves, because this is the first wrestling style that did allow submissions in English folk wrestling. So you would also see many bad injuries and deaths from things like a Nelson, you know, a, a full Nelson, which you may think of that as a pro wrestling move, but that can crank your neck and your spine to fucking hell. I learned that first uh, hand when I was a younger youngster when uh, Bart Vale put me in one of those. Oh. And I was tapping so fast my hand was like watching the flash. It was just a blur. Uh, yeah. Submissions, the art of joint manipulation is basically, first of all, like the way the body is, is built and structured, your bones and your muscles, they're vascular. They heal with blood flow and they heal relatively very quickly if they get broken. But your joints are avascular. They don't regenerate the same way. If you have more than a 10% tear, it's almost impossible to recover without surgery. So you can imagine these type of techniques utilized at this time. And and these are pissed motherfuckers who are drunk. They're not looking to, you know, just get a tap out as it were and finish a competition. They're trying to crank on whatever they get. And it's just, you know, you are truly maiming yourself to put yourself through this type of, of competition. And the type of injuries, the type of deaths, this is why the grappling on the ground became a big no-no, both culturally and legally, unless some shit was really getting wild. It was seen as brutish, ungentlemanly, and dangerous. This is why in boxing, under London prize rules, you could throw a person, but you couldn't follow the throw to the ground. You could do trips, you could do tosses, but it was never lower body holds, no doubles, no singles, because... That was seen as the dangerous bar fighting, 
that they were trying to say, no, 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 we are a legitimate sport. We are competition. We are not this savage thing that the peasants are doing uh, in the bars, even though it was the same type of people, but you have to market things and make it acceptable for the fairs, for the town square, for the theaters, much like boxing had to do in America, like wrestling had to do in America, and in our lifetimes, mixed martial arts had to do in America. Yes, the sophisticated sophisticuffs for the aristocrats. Meanwhile, the boys in the hood were getting grimy. And I mean, imagine, imagine somebody, put yourself in this situation. You're in a cage fight. You have a wrestler pinning you up against the cage. They've got your arms wrapped around. They got your body pinned up against the cage. And they're in basically cleats and ice skates. And they are kicking at your legs. That is the type of pressure and damage that that they were putting each other in and it's it is extreme yeah i i agree it is not gentlemanly because this is just vicious to do to one another man and the ground fighting was so foreign to what british folk wrestlers and athletes thought of as normal and competition the rules and there were rules and the rules were enforced codified by the lower pugilistic society of lancashire in the early to mid-1800s, the matches were still illegal and they would often take place in a field far away from the town where interference from law enforcement was a minimal risk. They would wear their clogs. They would wear a loincloth or just their underwear. They would agree upon what rules, whether biting was allowed. I don't know what psychopath would allow that. They would agree as to whether headbutting was allowed, whether you know choking or strangling was allowed. They would discuss this because there wasn't an athletic commission really putting this together. It was like that scene in Gangs of New York where there's going to be the big rumble at the end and they're discussing what weapons are allowed. Guns, no. Knives, yes. It was a gentleman's agreement, quite often broken in the heat of battle, but that is just how things go. They would have the up part of the fighting, the grappling on their feet, the shin kicking, trying to throw. Somebody had a good hold. You were allowed to take your foot, your shoe, your clog, your spiked, you know, hobnailed shoe and press it into their body to break the hold. So it did become de facto kicking to get a person off of you with a weapon. It was horrifyingly violent, very bloody in the end, but it was the rules. And there are articles and reports of disgraceful up and down fighting matches like one which occurred in a field near St. George's Church, Staley Bridge, with 200 people watching. The police noted that two naked men covered in blood were arrested afterwards. But more often, if someone snitched, everyone would be gone by the time the cops got there. Someone clearly forgot the first rule of Fight Club. Yeah, and and also, like, if you get to see some shit like that, why are you going to... You don't want to snitch on a guy who just fought with razor shoes and is naked bloody in the street. That's not the guy you tell on, man. I can imagine just cold. And also the culture. These are really, really tough, grimy people. And I'm sure that they were not particularly fond of, you know, any kind of law enforcement or, you know, ruling class telling them what to do. So I'm sure that they probably took pride in, you know, holding their mud when it came to stuff like that. And speaking of the kicking, a term I found a lot during this research was purring. And no, we're not talking about like a cat purring. It was a regional term, which is the art of shin kicking as it developed in Devonshire. Yes, there is an art of shin kicking. And it even branched off into its own sport in England, where there is competitive shin kickers who don soft boots and shin pads, tie up and try to force their opponents to the ground with kicks to the shin and instep. Folk martial arts are weirder than you'd ever expect, and they have mutated and stuck around to this day. It's like some weird midsummer or uh, you know the Wicker Man style thing where you could walk into a weird village in England and go to their summer fair and see competitive shin kicking. I actually watched a bunch of it on YouTube. It is very strange, but it is literally just two men almost in a uh, judo tie-up kicking each other in the shins, trying to uh, off-balance the other one and drop them. So is the goal to make the other person submit or to topple them? To get them to their knee, to, to, get them, to get them to the ground. It's all about softening up the shins or jerking them off balance or just kicking their shins until they go down to their knees. There's no ground fighting. There's no really anything else. It's just 
a Rochambeau, if you will. It's just two guys kicking each other's shins until somebody falls. Yeah, that. <laughs> for I'd love to see Bacow in that. That'd be hmm. amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. He just people's legs would just disappear. But it sounds like something you would see in a uh, like like a a weird elementary school recess style manly game instead of you know flicking the coins at your knuckles till you're bleeding or playing totally. bloody knuckles or punching each other in the stomach it's it's such a weird thing but it's been a cultural touchstone and part of their folk combat art for centuries yeah imagine you're like i got them new clog force ones dog with extra extra stabby spikes i mean it was so culturally adapted and it became a part of what they were known for in that region and it's just, I, I, I'm just baffled because, man, I can't imagine putting that into somebody. And like, now I want to do that. Next time I get into a fight, I want to have some cleats on so I can set up like a really nasty high point judo throw. Because, God damn, that would be sweet. So we did have that folk style shin kicking integrate into the clog fighting, the up and down wrestling, which still kind of took over into the catch as catch can, which came to America. That's why, uh, if you remember the uh, Theobode Bauer episode, there was press claiming, oh, it was a great match. There was no shin kicking because America and pro wrestling saw Greco-Roman before they saw the collar and elbow and the catch style. So it did, even as it mutated and came to America, it was still seen as a dirty move, not necessarily something that should be applauded, but it was in the rules and it was allowed. And the rules, even in this clog fighting, there were few and far between and often hard to enforce. An official would make sure the shoes were fair. I have no idea what that standard is when it's like a fucking wooden cloth yeah. with metal or spikes on it. They made sure that they weren't oiled up to avoid being caught in a hold. Often they would start instead of uh, from a distance catch style, they would start in a neutral position with their hands on each other's shoulders and would commence to out wrestle or break the shins with kicks to end the match. There was no win by breaking a hold and as in folk wrestling, so they could switch holds, trip, kick, whatever to win. They used their shoes to press them in the body to break holds. That was often just kind of kicking them in the stomach. They were allowed to pick someone up and slam them with their own weight on top of them, shoot for single and double leg takedowns. This was the up part of the game. But unlike the European folk style, in up and down wrestling, a throw didn't end the match. They would continue to the ground to work for dominant positions, strangle, twist arms and legs, and brutally kick each other, which caused plenty of damage in death. The win came when somebody was restrained and or pinned their opponent to the ground in the continental folk style. It was also legal and common to strangle someone from the mount until their shoulders were pinned or they gave up. I assume nobody learned how to bridge at that point in history. Yeah, or armbar from guard, right? But um, you know what? A thought that just popped into my head. It's so interesting in, in the entire, you know, spectrum of combat styles. There's always this dirty or negative component associated with the legs, with kicking, boxing, right? Versus like, that's it's not gentlemanly if you start using the legs. Greco, it's an upper body only takedown style that's considered a more pure, pure form of wrestling. It's not nearly as exciting, but the, the, the purists supposedly because you can't utilize the legs. And same thing with leg locks in jujitsu. There's always that component of going after somebody's wheels is a little bit dirty. And even in other cultures like Thai boxing, in Thai culture, clearly we're kicking but if you throw a teep, a front kick, where you're putting the palm of your foot towards somebody's face, that's seen as a dire insult. So yeah, there is definitely something about feet and legs in a lot of cultures where it's like considered a cheap shot or an unmanly move. But gosh darn, if it's not the most effective way to do things half the time. Yeah, because one thing that I have put together from this and, and all the aspects of this particular style is... This style would kick the shit out of a lot of your more gentlemanly styles because, yeah, they're going to the ground. They're following up on their takedowns and they're finishing the fight on the ground. And as we know, through modernized, that's the way a lot of fights. That's the only way you're going to win in a real grappling match. You're not going to win many grappling matches standing. 
and it, it, it was gritty, it was grimy, it was brutal, but I have no doubt of its effectiveness. Because there was very few ways to win standing. Sure, you could fuck somebody's leg up so bad they, they collapsed with a broken leg. You could land a kick uh, to the body that would be debilitating. You could throw somebody where they landed badly and were hurt or uh, possibly killed. But most of the finishes did end up on the ground where they started developing the restraining holds, where they started applying Nelsons, where they started discovering the ways to bend a body the wrong way until they would give up by saying enough or holding up their hand to signal the official that they are giving up, that they are caught in a hold that either is painful, damaging, or they simply cannot escape. Yeah, I mean, think about the number of fights you can picture in your head in the history of MMA that have ended with a grappling technique while standing. I can maybe think of a dozen or so off the top of my head. You, ha you have to utilize the the positioning and the leverage that the ground gives you to, to truly trap somebody usually to finish a submission and the ability to take someone and follow them to the ground, it, it, it really multiplies the effectiveness. So yeah, these guys were, were really putting their lives in each other's hands when they competed like this. And if you removed the brutality of the kicks and whatever else they're throwing at each other because these were personal fights, the match would look a lot like the Dutch Stosian wrestling style. Um, a lot of time in the Dutch, the Flanders style, some, some French and German styles of wrestling, that's where the pins came from. The European style of folk wrestling was where pinning came from. It was not native or part of any rule set in English style. So these immigrants brought their style with the ground fighting, with the concept of holding the person down. And one that was truly bananas to read about is in Flanders, depending on the rules for the festival or the fair, sometimes you would have to hold their shoulders down for up to 10 minutes or until they gave up because they couldn't get out. Yeah, I, that's astonishing because one, you'd either have to be unconscious or you would have to be just... I can't imagine if you could, if I couldn't get out of something in 10 minutes, I'd probably give up before that. So I don't know how many submissions versus 10 minute pinfalls. But yeah, a person's pretty much got to be unconscious to accomplish that. Another thing from this style that was new and effective, but was very ugly, was the strangling or the strangle holds or the hang holds, as they would call it, front or back like rear naked chokes guillotines and with the uh the rear naked the uh the back hold as they called it in the day the lancashire hug the headlock hip throw was the most popular and effective takedown there were very sophisticated ways of fighting that were effective but unpopular it's kind of like when you go to the bar especially back in the day of early ufcs and they're like stand them up they're just humping each other Blah. and hair pulling Headbutting, biting, gouging, fish hooking, and kicking someone who was helpless on the ground was illegal, but that last one, as I keep mentioning, happened a lot. Other techniques that would look familiar to modern pro wrestling fans came from the Frankish Lancashire throw, which is essentially a shoot back body drop. And that's easy to drop someone on their head, and often this was on a barroom floor and resulted in broken necks, paralysis, most likely death. The Yorkshire hug was safer, but still no fun on a hard surface. It was a double underhook or a, a crotch hold into a bear hug lift, turn, and slam with your weight on top of your opponent. While safer and legal in most competitions, it still wasn't allowed in boxing because you had to follow your opponent down to execute it properly and often had a hold below the waist between the legs to make it work. We've both done this to people and had it done to us. And it sucks even on mats, let alone a hardwood floor or the hard ground. Oh yeah, it is a brutal way to, to meet the ground. And also from the backside, you have so much leverage that yeah, that's the kind of fall where you could absolutely potentially kill someone if you were to do that with your full force and following them down on the concrete. And a funny bit I read about was how in English folk wrestling, Holds below the waist were illegal. So kicking the fuck out of someone's legs was legal, but grabbing the leg to stop them, like Muay Thai style or a single leg takedown off of a kick, were illegal. 
it took the Flemish clog style to uh, bring those techniques into competition to make a defense against being kicked, other than just trying to shuffle your legs. Uh, another famous Lancashire throw at the time was pretty much what we would call a monkey flip in pro wrestling, which is also prevalent in BJJ and judo, and is how I fucking wrecked my foot a day before a tournament when I was 19. <laughs> in, it's a lot easier to do in judo and jiu-jitsu because you have the handles of the gi, yeah. you put one foot on their hip, you roll back, put your other foot on their hip, flip them behind you, and try to roll up to a mount. You can still do it with, uh, you know, without this. But again, you flip a guy who doesn't know how to roll or if the physics are wrong, land on their head, and that's it for their spine. And keep in mind, you're doing this with fucking spike shoes. So if you actually get that foot in position and hoisted somebody up, I can only imagine that that added variable of that like cutting into you as it's lifting you up would cause you to be that much more sporadic in your fall and be that much worse off on your landing. Yeah, because that's that was one of my favorite moves with the gi when I was uh, when I when I was uh, younger, and I fucked my foot up. I I, I did that. I mm. rolled back, flipped him, rolled up to mount, and my foot got caught under his torso and twisted the wrong way. And yeah. you see these tendons and ligaments up popping. It was purple. It was swollen. But I'm 19, so I just taped it up. Went to uh, compete. Lost a horrifically one-sided on points uh, match in 20 minutes, and it was double elimination, and I was at the end of the round. So I literally went back, took a drink of water, and my name got called again. I got guillotined in like 30 seconds. I had nothing left to offer, but at least I didn't land on my head and fucking die. Yeah, and one thing that you just went over that I want to touch on too, you said that that grabbing the lower body was illegal. And that's too bad because I was hoping somebody got heel hooked like a motherfucker right out of their Dutch clogs because I could imagine that if they're using that, you want to try to get at that in the single leg opportunities. I'm just like playing out oh, how no, I would defend it, you know? Would, um, and here's the thing, like the, uh, the, the below the waist holds were illegal in English folk wrestling and up and down and then Lancashire wrestling, it was perfectly legal. Oh, fuck, I just okay, don't think yeah. anybody thought and had the sophistication yeah. to try to do that. That's something that would develop later on. It's like we talked about in the Pancration episode, the human body only bends so many ways. Yeah. So if you're grappling without restrictions, everybody's going to eventually figure out the same hold at some point. Totally. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, the reverse joint principle can only be applied so many ways for each of your joints. And, yeah, that's awesome because I could, yeah. Ooh, could you imagine catching a heel hook if somebody had a wooden shoe? Oh, man. That's why in competitions or quote mark competitions like Pancrase back in the 90s, early 2000s, if you're wearing boots, you can get caught in a heel hook or a toe hold very easily. It can do insane amounts of damage. If you want to know what I'm talking about, I keep referencing this again and again, but it uh, you know bears witnessing. YouTube John Lover footlock, and you'll see why it's so dangerous. If somebody knows how to do a foot or ankle lock, and you are wearing a shoe, and you're not so you're not sweating, you're not you don't have the ability to slip out of it. Yeah. There's nothing but friction when they get mm. you on your possibly most vulnerable joint in the submission game. Yeah, and it's even worse, believe it or not, if the person in the submission doesn't know. Because what you see so often is that's one reason in jiu-jitsu for a long time it was frowned upon to teach the newer students leg locks because so often people will hurt themselves. The, the way you defend it is somewhat counterintuitive, but people end up turning themselves while their leg is stuck in a position and blowing their own knees out. And it's really nasty. You can hurt somebody very bad. I'm not talking just pain. I'm talking damage. I'm talking life-changing damage with a heel hook, with oh, a yeah. knee bar, with a toe hold. And that's why in jiu-jitsu competition, you typically aren't allowed to do that until at least blue belt because white belts are just little, little spaz babies trying to figure it all out. And they will not understand that they are in a bad spot until you hear a pop and then their life has changed forever. At least their athletic career is. So it is a dangerous thing. I feel like this, you know, if you're thinking about these, there's like technical wrestling matches with a lot of like exchange of holds and submission games. It was closer to like an old cowboy fight, but with just a ground game, a rudimentary, rolling around, not knowing how to place a position uh, type of ground wrestling until you got somebody down or you got a hold of their neck. This was not a sophisticated time. This is kind of like when 
I was, you know, like 13, 14, saw the first UFC with my friend. And we would just immediately start trying to do jujitsu in the backyard. And you know, we had no fucking clue what we were doing. We we're just trying to do whatever hold we saw some idiot pull off in the last pay-per-view that we watched. It's not sophisticated. It's just competition, trying to figure it out as you go. There wasn't like a master catch wrestler opening up a school. It's all just whatever you know, what you learn from your dad, what you learn from your friends, throw it all together in the uh, in the yard, in the bar, in the field. Yeah, but it is so particularly brutal that we had to jump on this style as soon as we uncovered it because God damn, it is so in what we do on the show in sort of breaking and separating and looking at the, the macro in between the, the different styles of grappling, this particular variant is just so fascinating to me because it really does have a vicious animal visceral component to it that we don't have anymore. And that's, it's really something because you, you'd have to really fucking hate a guy to risk your, your body like this. And keep in mind, with this monkey flip style throw that was so popular and easy to do, they were wearing spiked track shoes. This could be downright lethal if a hard kick shoved the spiked shoe into your abdomen, as happened during the fight between William Johnson and Nathaniel Johnson in Disley, Cheshire in 1838. I do not know if they're related. I assume it's a common name over there, but William caught Nathaniel in a monkey flip and the long spikes ruptured his intestines and he died. People got arrested. People went to jail. And during most arrests, the combatants would hush up like mobsters at a gangster movie. They obeyed the first rule of Fight Club, a fight that took place in a field near Bury, Lancashire in 1838 between William Thonley and James Rayner, who both wore shoes bound in iron with spikes, they were reduced to bloody messes, missing chunks of flesh from their legs, from oh. their instep, from the shins, from all those tie-ups, until Rainer took a shot to the groin at the half-hour point. I don't even want to think about how it feels to be kicked in the balls with iron-wrapped wooden clogs. Doesn't seem like a fun time. That ended the evening. The police investigated it, arrested both men, and Rayner denied it was up and down fighting. It was not that type of match. He denied also that he was kicked in the balls and claimed it was a fair and sporting shin-kicking affair. The magistrate gave zero fucks and sent them to prison for a few months. When the sport was officially banned in 1827, most local grapplers kind of wised up and put their energy towards the more civilized rules of the Lancashire style of catch-as-catch-can professional wrestling, and catch became the sport while the old sport was discarded as unmanly purring and street fighting. Often, as with many Englishmen arrested for serious crimes at the time, those who continued to arrange clog fights would be convicted and deported for life to Australia. Holy shit, it all makes sense now. I bet those motherfuckers are vicious and they have like a secret society of clog fighting. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, it did continue down there. Australia was a bit of a free-for-all. It was just deported criminals and various weirdos trying to exploit those criminals. So in Australia, where the tradition of Lancashire fashion wrestling continued at the festivals and holidays and fairs, joined by the Cumberland backhold and collar and elbow styles as criminals of all regions and grappling styles were sent down there. It wasn't necessarily popular. It wasn't necessarily a joyous free-for-all. The Lancashire style, while exciting, was of course disliked by some, as an Adelaide South Australia reporter printed the opinion piece, Demoralizing Exhibition. Quote, such exhibitions in their effect and tendencies are but a shade better than prize fighting. They congregate the lowest, most abandoned and dissolute characters, and unquestionably have the most demoralizing effect. This being the case, it is to be hoped that all such exhibitions will be discountenanced by authorities. It may not be generally known, but not only principal, but spectators at such places are liable to be dealt with under the law. 
I guess he was just a fan of fixed hold folk wrestling because the kids don't know how to work. Yeah, he obviously got the shit kicked out of his shins at some point, but it is well said because, yeah, I mean, ultimately a style like that probably needs to, you know, pass away with time because it is just too violent, too vicious to, you know, the damage that was done. Like you said, meat hanging off the bones. I can't, uh, it would be such a brutal thing. So how did this, how did this get phased from here? In the 1850s, we would see this replaced with the more sporting and peaceful and definitely more legal new catch style rules. There were more opportunities for competition. People were opening gyms. People were being, you know, settling things more with competition as opposed to essentially a fight to the death, a dual style fight. You know, in the end, some things that are illegal but very public just become too exhausting and too risky to do. If it's like, hey, I want to beat you. Well, hey, we can do this in a more sporting way or we can do something that could end in our death or being sent to fucking Australia. It's just the easier path. Still gets the job done. It became more of a sport as opposed to some weird medieval duel. Imagine winning your your match and then getting deported to fucking Australia for, for all your trouble, man. No wonder it died out. And it wasn't like it just died out one day. It was a slow phase under the rules. In the 1820s to the 1850s, where the best grapplers were from East Lancashire or West Lancashire, catch still looked a little bit like the up and down fighting. Wearing only underwear or loincloths, still had these spiked or hobnailed shoes, but that was more for the sake of gripping the dirt floors, and still often featured brutal moves like strangling and choking, wrenching of limbs, and if the terms between opponents allowed, kicking wall down or even biting. Again, a maniac move, but the world is full of maniacs. And Lancashire wrestling continued to evolve as an increasingly intricate, sophisticated, and regionally specific style of grappling, whose foundation set the stage for professional wrestling in England and America in the years to come, but its roots will always be in those blood-soaked fields and back rooms. I'm going to add the Lancashire hug to my move set. I want to. I, I want to see. I, I might actually like have to spike my cleats for this next death match. I'm going to do, man. I bet that would be super effective. And I, I do always love the weird, uh, you know, local folksy term because when you call a rear naked choke the lion killer, the Mataleon, it gives it like this legendary feel. But if you call oh, it a right. Lancashire hug, it sounds like some cool thing that happens in a uh, you know back room. It gives it a little bit of a bit of a uh, you know English carny uh, you know kind of kind of kind of vibe. A little bit of dirt on it. I just kind of like it that way. Yeah, totally. It sounds like something that happens to you if you don't pay the pay the collector from the mob. You know. So it's completely bananas to me to see this form of, you know, working class, medieval to industrial age death duels, because again, they knew how to wrestle, but they didn't have swords that evolved and turned into the catch as catch can wrestling that we know today. I mean, they were kind of concurrent. Think of this as the the Neanderthal to the Cro-Magnon of, uh, of catch as catch can, but they influenced each other. They crossbred. When you look at pro wrestling, like we were talking about earlier, where kicks were allowed and you go, you just accept that as part of the uh, the wrestling rule set, the NWA rules. You don't go, wait a minute. How is that? Why is that? Where did that come from? And when you find the root, it's even weirder than you could possibly gosh darn imagine. As is often the case here on the nerd show that we do, where we unlock all of these, you know, little nuances and juicy nuggets of where this shit comes from because we we just take it for granted because it's been this way since it's been presented to us but as you guys know man all of the shit the roots are so fucking fascinating of pro wrestling that it's it's the only medium where the true story is more incredible than all of the storylines that have ever been written man you know once again you know, sometimes you dig looking for weirdness and even when you find it, you're not ready for it because it's too crazy. Truth is stranger than fiction. And I'm glad that we got to talk about this today. How do you feel knowing all this crazy shit lying in the roots of what we love? Well, I think this is the the true, true purpose of the Pro Wrestling History Nerds podcast is to find out awesome little 
sub-variants of the grappling tree and all of these, you know, mutated styles that have popped up and, and how, even though we never think about it, they influenced what we know as sort of the standard lexicon today. It's fascinating to me because really what it is, is it's an evolution from a very vicious variant, but it, you still see how it is effective today. And the other great lesson to learn, much like when we talked about how Irish and English integration changed the face of American pro wrestling, we now know how French and Flemish immigration to England influenced that. It's not just cool restaurants. It's not just cool new music. You get cool fighting styles that crossbreed and become something fantastic. Yay immigration. Yay uh, different cultures. Everything is cool. Bring it on. Let's make the world a better place through uh, cross-pollination, ways to throw people and choke people, because that's what we're all about. So we're going to call it quits here. Please, for the love of heck, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, leave comments if uh, you know your prop platform allows that, because we want you on this journey with us as we listen, learn, and party. For Chango Bronson, I'm Nick Gossert. Good night, everybody. Capital Show Chap Cut Print Martini. <laughs>